0: Hello and welcome to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. Thanks so much for being here with us as Advent proceeds towards its uh, conclusion and uh, the big the big day, Christmas Day. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time with us. Uh, if you'd like to call today, it's open forum, both hours 888 318 7884. 888 318 7884. Second hour, Carlo Brucehard will be here with us to take your uh, calls. This hour, Jimmy Aiken of uh, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World Fame. Hi, Jimmy Aiken.
1: Hi, Cy Kellett of Catholic Answers Live Fame.
0: Uh, <laughs> as such as it is, I guess uh, I am a, right now of uh, Catholic Answers Live exhaustion because doing a couple episodes a day for the week, so that we'd have mm-hmm. episodes for next week. But and I I'm I'm trying to remember as I, as each show starts is is it Christmas or is it Advent? for this episode, but this one's live. Uh-huh. It's Advent, and I am so glad you are here, Jimmy, because uh, I need some, somebody to carry it <laughs> this hour.
1: <laughs> well, I'll do what carrying I can.
0: 888 uh, Oh, go ahead.
1: And, and we've also got some... Uh, you, you did some additional work you didn't even know about, because for Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on... Uh, on Christmas Eve, well, the Friday of Christmas weekend. Um, We're doing Christmas Weird Questions. So that's a new feature in that. You've, You've already recorded in that. We're gonna be looking at questions like, was the star of Bethlehem a UFO? Could the infancy narratives be evidence against time travel? What's the deal with Krampus? And could the baby Jesus have colic or get sick? Or things like that. So that'll be our Christmas episode. And then we'll also have New Year's weird questions, and so you're in that one too. So you actually have a little bit more pre-record than you were even aware of. That's why I'm so tired.
0: <laughs> well, thanks, Jimmy. I love the uh, the the Christmas weird questions because uh, I have to say I thought people did a really good job coming up with really weird Christmas questions.
1: It was, they did. It, it was very good. Easter, not so much. We tried Easter weird it questions no. this year, and they just asked Easter questions. They weren't weird.
0: Yeah, right. Um, no, but yeah, I remember the Christmas one being a special delight. I'm glad you're putting that out there. Very good. Very good. Uh, the number here is 888-318-7884. 888-318-7884. You don't take any... Um, you don't take any Fridays off at Jimmy Ake's Mysterious World. Every Friday, even, even in the holiday seasons, whatever, you, you, people yeah. get a new episode. We always have something
1: for the listener. I, I don't like it when shows go dark and I have to wait, and so I don't want to go dark for other people.
0: Yeah, that's I, I think that's our, why we do the pre-records too for, the, for Christmas week is, you know, you could end the year with reruns and stuff, and that's fine. I, I don't want to, you know, but we, we feel like, no nah, we're 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 here to do the job and and uh we should probably just have new material each time if we can if we you know there's always times when yeah. you can't but if you can uh eight 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 three one eight seven eight eight four uh first calls from Canada Justin in Ontario Canada watching on youtube. Uh, Justin, thank you very much for your call. And I am going to put you on the air with Jimmy, but I got to tell you one thing before I do that. And what I'm basically doing is stalling for time right now because I forgot to turn on the phone machine. Now it's on. Here you go, Justin. Go ahead with your question for Jimmy.
2: Okay. I, I'm having a little bit of hard time hearing, but I hope you guys can hear me.
0: Yeah, well, you sound fine to us. You do sound a little Canadian, but other than that, you sound great. Uh,
2: that's, it's all boots being Canadian, eh? <laughs> all right. So, uh... Here's my question. I don't know if I could do the time thing that good. I think he said about time. But uh, my question is, I was studying Cardinal Jean Danielou. Uh, Mm -hmm. He has a writing called uh, The Lord of History. Mm -hmm. I thought of it as amazing in the sense when it talks about typology. And I have come across other scholars that have talked about, I guess you'd call it like an eschatological typology. My question is, for example, I have to give a little bit of a digression, but if a a modern-day Jew came to me and said, Jesus is not the Messiah, he didn't kick the Romans out, I would simply say, well, no, no, that would just be reduplicating what David did. He's greater than that. It's not about kicking the Romans out, it would be about kicking Satan and fallen angels out and liberating the true true heavenly homeland and being able to bring us in there. It's a glorious, it surpasses The original story. So my question to you is this. I noticed with the priesthood, there are certain things that originally, in the original context, are because of our punishments for the people, like the golden calf or a whole bunch of uh, sacrificial laws, uh, ceremonial laws. Why do we kind of accept them hook, hook, line, and thinker in the Catholic faith in some ways without rather reinterpreting them first according to this glorious eschatolization and then taking that version of it. Uh, case in point, I, I remember being in university and um, there was the idea that an Eastern Catholic priest, he must abstain from, if he's married, he must abstain from being with his wife. Uh, I think there was rules on if he cuts his finger and he's bleeding. I thought right away, all this goes back to Leviticus. These are all unclean, unclean laws, right? So why are we still
3: following that? Like
1: no, we're not. Um if 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 you have um a married Catholic priest like in some of the eastern rites of the church, they are not expected to abstain from relations uh with their wife. Now in the um in the in the Torah Priests were only expected to abstain from relations with their wife when they were when they were preparing to minister. So, like if they're going to Jerusalem for their twice a year week of service, then um, then they they wouldn't even be with their wife during that time, and they were supposed to remain cha- remain continent um, when they were getting ready to serve. Um, I don't know if. That practice is followed in Eastern rites where they have married uh, priests, but if it is, that would be a matter of custom rather than of divine law. Similarly, uh, priests do not become unclean by cutting their finger or something like that. If a priest cuts his finger, just puts a Band-Aid on, doesn't worry about it beyond that. So I'm not sure what aspects of the Old Testament priesthood or other Old Testament Laws you see as still being followed today, what the church historically has regarded as binding on us are the moral precepts from the old covenant, like don't murder, don't commit adultery, things like that, because they um, are part of the not. They're binding not because they're part of the Mosaic law, but because they're part of the natural moral law some of which is repeated in the mosaic law but the reason that that things like don't murder don't commit adultery don't steal the reason those are binding is not because they're in the torah that may be a helpful guide to them you know like the 10 commandments are a helpful summary but because those are actually part of the universal moral law that's built into human nature and therefore applies to all humans. And so when it comes to ceremonial aspects of the Torah, those are regarded as not binding today, and if anyone is following a ceremonial practice, it would that happens to be mentioned in the torah like some children some christians have their children circumcised some don't well if they're doing that it's it it's they're not obliged to because it's in the torah they're just doing it as a matter of custom not as a ma- or a matter of choice not because it's something that god requires or that the church regards as being required
2: okay um well i i, I would just the main reason behind all of this is I don't understand what happened to like uh, why couldn't there be a fulfilled father-son priesthood along with an ordained priesthood? If like why are we still living a golden calf model? And I know Peter references that you are a chosen race and a royal priesthood, but mm-hmm. he's actually quoting a text that is pre-golden calf.
1: Correct. So, yeah. Also, like I would I would be careful about about over-interpreting the golden calf incident. The golden calf incident does is chronologically connected with the founding of the Levitical priesthood, because when the children of Israel worship the golden calf, Um, and, you know, Moses comes down from the mountain and he grinds it up and, and, and puts it, puts the, puts the residue in water and makes them drink it so that they'll poop it out and thus desecrate this idol they've made. Um, that's something that then precedes the incident where they have, um, where they have a, a a kind of party, a kind of with a bunch of pagans, and it it causes problems, and Moses says, We've got to deal with this, and the Levites rally to him and they strike down the people who are participating in this pagan worship, and he says, Today you have ordained yourselves priests of God. And so Levi becomes the priestly tribe, but it's not a punishment on Israel. It's not presented in the text, at least not anywhere I remember. It's not presented as, a this is a punishment on Israel for the golden calf, or for this incident. Um, it's something that happened in conjunction with this incident, that Levi, by doing this valorous thing for God, they got a promotion. To, okay, now you get to be this consecrated holy tribe, but it it it's not presented as this is a punishment on everybody else that now they're no longer priests. In terms of, could there be a um, a, a father-son heritable priesthood today. Well, there could be if God had chosen that, but he didn't choose that. Um, he, he chose to have uh, charismatically appointed priests where he gave men vocations to pursue, and church authorities, if they recognized that vocation, would ordain them. But you didn't have to be the son of anybody. There's no New Testament equivalent of Aaron, which is what God would have done if he had chosen to institute a hereditary priesthood in the New Testament. He would have picked a new Aaron, maybe Peter, let's say, and then all of Peter's descendants would get to be priests. But that's not what he did. He ordained all of the 12 as priests, and then they ordained various other people as priests over the course of their careers as apostles. So it was a matter of God's choice not to institute a hereditary priesthood again.
0: And I am afraid we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much for the call, for the question. It's open form. There are two lines open. Jimmy Aiken is our guest. 888-318-7884. Right back with more of that right after this on Catholic Answers Live. We're here for you. Call now. Catholic Answers Live.
4: Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org.
5: The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio.
0: I don't like looking back. I prefer to look forward and keep moving forward. There's plenty to cover. I
1: do a lot of research and try to dig out the bits and pieces of a life or an agenda that people don't want to talk about.
6: The World Over with Raymond Arroyo.
4: Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television.
0: welcome back to Catholic Answers live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. Jimmy Aiken our guest this hour and it's open forum. Your calls are welcome 888-318-7884. I know it seems a little early to talk about it, but there are all kinds of benefits to signing up early for the Catholic Answers annual conference which is which starts on September 21st of uh, 2023, and one of the great things about this conference, Cardinal Pell is coming. We'll have Cardinal Pell as our keynote speaker, and the conference is about God. It's just called I Believe in God. Wonderful speakers. Check it out. See all the discounts that are available right now, great room rates and uh, uh, lots of um, deals uh, to make it attractive for you before the new year even begins. CatholicAnswersConference.com. CatholicAnswersConference.com, and if you use the promo code EARLY, uh, you save even more when you sign up. Use the promo code early at CatholicAnswersConference.com. Go to North Carolina. So, so uh, before you go to North
1: Carolina, I notice no. you have a very a very festive windsock there.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it is. It is kind of a windsock. Well, it's it. Uh, there's, well, a, there's a lot of hot air that comes out. Well right I was
1: going to say so so for people who who may not know what a windsock is yeah it's one of those things they use in in testing airplanes and so forth and that you see them sometimes in at aer- aeronautical facilities and it's a it's a kind of cone made out of cloth that's stretched yeah. out horizontally and it's used to catch wind and Cy has what's actually a an advent hat a little Santa-like Advent hat put over his microphone, but it's at this angle where it's stretched out, and he's he's talking right into it. He's blowing wind into the windsock.
0: Yeah, that uh, if, if it gets all the way out here like this, uh, then I know mm-hmm. I got to stop. I've, I've well, created enough hot air.
1: <laughs> good aerodynamics check.
5: Yeah.
0: All right, now we'll go to North Carolina. Chris in North Carolina, watching on YouTube. Chris, uh, thanks for waiting. Go ahead with your question for Jimmy.
5: Hey,
7: thanks for taking my call. Happy um to. I got into a discussion um last Sunday with my RCIA sponsor about what? the gospel reading and it was about um Mary and Joseph. And <clears throat> my question is is if Mary and Joseph neither one knew that Mary was to be the mother of Christ, then why were they even contemplating marriage and from the viewpoint of I guess that the brothers of Jesus were his from from the perspective that they were his cousins, not the perspective that, you know, Mary was or that Joseph was an older gentleman and already had children. In that scenario I can see why they would get married because, you know, Mary was you know, um, Joseph was to be the guardian and you know the foster father of Jesus, but from the perspective that they were his cousins, if neither one of them knew that Mary was gotcha. even going to get so,
1: pregnant, then so, why so, would they so, even
7: have been doing that?
1: So, as you say, there are a couple of ways of understanding the relationship between Mary and Joseph. On one understanding, Mary was already a consecrated virgin, and that's why Joseph, an elderly widower who already had a family, agreed to marry her to be her guardian. And so, as you say, that one makes sense. Well, what what about the other understanding of Mary, where Mary was not a consecrated virgin, and she therefore would have been expecting to. And, and it really, it, it, it. Well, I won't go down that path. It, it, so she's she's not a consecrated virgin, virgin, and she's expecting to have a family. And then God shows up and says, um, "You're going to be the mother of the Messiah." Well, in that case, Joseph would have married her for the ordinary reasons that um, that someone gets married you know he he was planning on having a family with her and then god like life you know inter, inter, interrupted their what they were planning and they charted a new course and they decided okay well um now that you have been the spouse of god you know the holy spirit has um has caused the son of god to be born in you Joseph, on this model, said, well, i'm I'm going to respect that. I'm you know, I may be legally your husband, and I'll take care of you here on earth, but the Holy Spirit consecrated your womb, and I'm not going to presume to intrude on that. And so they decided not to have a sexual relationship after this point, after she became pregnant. so but it it ultimately goes to the question of was she a consecrated virgin before?" she married Joseph, in which case it was for reasons of protection that he married her? Or did she choose the path of virginity after she became pregnant with Jesus, in which case he would have been marrying her for the ordinary reasons that people get married? And there was just a change of plans when God intervened. Personally, I tend to go with the elderly widower theory, but that's not a matter of church teaching. Uh, I think that's what the evidence best supports, but it's not a matter of church teaching, so people can go either way on that.
0: Uh, Chris, I'm so glad you called and that you're in the RCIA program. If you'd like a copy of Jimmy's book, uh, The Words of Eternal Life, uh, True Happiness and Where to Find It, just hang on the line. I'd like to get that sent to you, and Edgar will take care of that if you hang on the line. I'm going to go to Tim now in Maryland. Tim? Tim? Welcome. Go ahead with your question for Jimmy.
7: Yeah, hi,
2: Jimmy. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Um, uh, the question I have is regarding the Protestant view of idolatry. It, I was in a debate with someone, and they're just trying to say that everything is idolatry, and I'm trying to say it's a very specific thing, idol worship. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could help me out on that one. I'm in RCIA class. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Oh, thing.
1: great. Oh, thank you. Well, um, so as with so many things, there's not a single Protestant understanding of idolatry. You'll find different understandings of it that are um, that are that have different levels of sophistication among different groups of Protestants. And some Protestants wouldn't disagree with the Catholic Church at all on what's idolatry, but some would. Um, in terms of what idolatry is, well, the the word itself, in this case, at least. Um, Conveys its meaning. Idolon means idol, and latreia means to worship. And so idolatrea or idolatry means to worship an idol. And if you're not worshiping an idol, you're not committing idolatry. Now, an idol is something specific. It's not just any image. Um, that's made clear from the fact that you know God even commanded the Israelites to make religious statuary. He commanded them, for example, to make statues of cherubim as part of the Ark of the Covenant, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. He also commanded giant cherubim statues to be made and put in front of the Holy of Holies in the temple. So that's religious statuary, but these were not idols. God did not command the Israelites to make idols. And so an idol is something more specific. It's an image of a god, and in the ancient Near Eastern understanding of idols, um, it actual, the god actually dwelt in the idol. So if, if I'm in Egypt, and I'm a priest of o, the god Osiris, and I've got the idol of Osiris back at the back of the temple, well, that statue's got Osiris in it. So if I'm worshiping that statue, I'm worshiping the God. He's right there. Um, and that's different than, say, a Christian who has a statue of Jesus. They don't think that Jesus is literally in the statue. So it's it's not an idol, it's just a real piece of religious statuary that's used as a reminder of Jesus. Now there is a broader understanding of idolatry, and this is reflected in the New Testament, um, At one point, Paul talks about gluttons and says that their god is their stomach, and what he means there is they care too much about eating. They they care more about eating than they should. And so there's a kind of metaphorical idolatry that occurs whenever someone has disordered priorities, where you put too much emphasis on something, where you should be caring more about God's values, but no, I just love pizza, so pizza, pizza, pizza. And, well, in that case, you have metaphorically made an idol out of pizza. But that's a metaphor. In terms of what idolatry actually is, it's worshiping an idol, and an idol is a statue of a god understood to be
0: the god or to contain the god. Uh, that makes sense to you there, uh, Tim? Yeah.
2: Yeah, very helpful. Thank you very much. Pretty much what I was trying to say, but a hundred times more eloquent. Thank
0: you very much. That <laughs> happens with me, with Jimmy, too. Uh, but hey, um, oh, we're glad you're in the RCI as well. If you'd like a copy of, of Jimmy's book, The Words of Eternal Life, True Happiness, and Where to Find It, hang on the line, and Edgar will uh, send it out to you. The number here is 318 7884. We're going now to Jacob in Ohio, listening to EWTN on channel 130, Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Jacob, go ahead with your question for Jimmy. Uh,
4: howdy. uh relatively simple question.
5: I've heard this a good. ways. I've heard Amen and Amen. What is the correct way?
1: Well, okay, so there is no single correct way to pronounce uh this word um it, people have different accents and different languages work differently. in um, I I don't know that we have a good understanding of how it would have been pronounced in in Jesus's day. In fact, there were different, accents of Aramaic. What an accent is, is a pronunciation scheme. If you pronounce things according to one pattern, you have one accent. If you pronounce them according to a different pattern, you have another accent. And we know there were different accents between Galilee and Jerusalem in Jesus's day, because Peter had a Galilean accent. We're told that in in the Gospels. Um, What I can say is that at least the way the word is represented in the Greek New Testament, it should be pronounced something approximating amen, because it's spelled with a, an, an alpha as the first vowel, which is a short a, and an eta, which is a long a, as the second vowel. So it would be amen. However, that's Greek. That's not English. In English, it is commonly said amen, with the emphasis on the second syllable, but sometimes it is said amen with the long vowel sound and the emphasis on the first syllable. It can be both ways, but this is a folk process. How it gets pronounced is up to the folk to decide, and the folk have decided to pronounce it both ways in English. So I wouldn't look down on anybody, however they're saying it.
0: Uh, Amen to that, brother. Uh, Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, Thank you very much uh, for the question. We got two lines open right now, and it's open form. You can ask whatever you like, 888-318-7884. Right back with more Jimmy Akin on Catholic Answers Live.
6: Here's a question. Is it really possible to be friends with someone who died 2,000 years ago? Maybe the problem is that we've grown way too comfortable with the story of Jesus. Nice man, right? Taught us to love one another, said not to judge people. We celebrate his birthday every year. It's time to put away this small, safe version of Jesus, says Cy Kellett. Nobody that bland could have transformed the world. In A Teacher of Strange Things, Cy presents Jesus Christ undiluted by sentiment, with all his radical words and deeds uncensored. Do you know someone, your son or daughter perhaps, or maybe your mom or dad, who needs the friendship of Jesus Christ? Do you? Order your copy of A Teacher of Strange Things by visiting shop.catholic.com today or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Have you enrolled in the Catholic Answers School of Apologetics? Let me ask you a more important question. Do you believe, as a Catholic, that you have an obligation to share the Catholic faith? In fact, the Church has answered this question, and the answer is that all confirmed Catholics are obliged to share the faith. It's actually in canon law. Catholic Answers is here to help you fulfill that obligation. Our School of Apologetics courses will equip you to help all the people you come in contact with understand what the Church teaches and why. A great place to start is with all the Catholics in your life. Learn the art of apologetics from the best of the best and start sharing the Gospel today. Visit schoolofapologetics.com. That's schoolofapologetics.com.
3: Did you know you can access Catholic Answers Live right from your
1: phone or other mobile device? Download the Catholic Answers Live app today. The Catholic Answers Live app, available now on iOS and Android.
0: The groovy music there for you. I forgot it's Thursday. I forgot what day it is. It's when it gets holiday-ish, it's hard to keep track of what day it is. Um, and But that does remind me, tomorrow we do have a fun show. The Kids of Catholic Answers came in and asked their questions, and I would say a good 50% of the Kids so of the, Catholic the, the Answers the kid, are delightful.
1: The, the, kids, the Kids of Catholic Answers, that's
0: like Thomas and Zach? Or... Those, those do seem like the Kids of Catholic Answers, uh-huh. uh, but... We went even we went even younger. Uh, we went oh. with the kids of uh, the oh uh, the, the name,
1: children of the staffers staff. came yes, in. Right. Okay,
0: right. As a matter of fact, uh, Thomas and Zach, uh, Edgar, who else? Uh, oh, Jack. Do you know this is how much kids they are? They come in here in the studio before the show uh, several times a week, and they do a show of their own on the microphones in here. They don't mm-hmm. record it. They don't send it out to anybody. They just. Do a show together. It's the uh, I, I video I made a video of it and I'm thinking about posting uh-huh. it. I have no Troy idea what, and I, what's that, Troy and I, Troy and Abed in the morning. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. Yeah, I, I do. Why do uh, you? You could tell me later. You can tell me. 888 is the number. Triple eight, thirty one 31 Truth, John, in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, you are up next, John. Thank you for waiting. Go ahead with your question for Jimmy Aiken.
5: Hello, I was raised Catholic, and I went to Catholic schools where um, corporal punishment was in full effect. I don't know if either one of you gentlemen or went to Catholic grade schools, but I, did. I would always get in trouble because I would pose questions that would be very upsetting to the nuns. And I'll pose one of the questions to Jimmy. Well, it Jimmy, right? Uh, it is, and Jimmy, is, and
1: you you don't have to worry about me slapping your wrist with a ruler, because not only is that physically impossible, but I treat all questions with respect. So don't worry about it. No judging. Well,
5: the question is, and you, you mentioned Satan earlier, and I've always wondered... I did? And this would get me in great, tru- great trouble. I would say, yeah. well, if Satan existed, which I think the whole concept is nonsense, I said, hmm. why doesn't God just destroy Satan
1: okay. and end evil? Okay. I mean, let, let let okay, okay. So, uh, John, do you happen to be a father? Do you have any children? I do. Okay, uh, boy or girl or both?
5: Okay, I know where you're going with this, and I, well, I, I would okay, fine. Let answer me get the, there. The question. I, would prefer I, you I am to
1: answering the question. I am answering your question, John. Do you have a boy or a girl?
5: If I can interrupt you just for a second.
1: Well, you I already have.
5: The whole Catholic story is absolute nonsense. It's okay. clearly fictional. The, the The whole the whole concept is completely fictional because you have a protagonist, and of course, you need an antagonist. and Of course, that's that's Satan. Why doesn't Satan just? Why doesn't God just destroy Satan?
1: Um, you know, I, I I'm happy to dialogue with people who are interested in dialoguing. Um, it was coming across a little bit more like a monologue there. Um, and I'll give you an answer to your question, which is because God's going to bring about more good as a result of as a result of allowing the devil to exist than if he were to just instantly annihilate the devil. That's the only reason God ever brings out Uh, ever allows any evil to exist is because he's going to bring good out of it. Now, I can elaborate that more, not in a short space, but also uh, I think part of the reason you wouldn't let me finish my answer, part of the reason you interrupted me is because you did see where I was going. I was going to make an analogy to children who make mistakes and do bad stuff, but that doesn't mean you instantly kill your children. By the way, note to everyone in the audience, do not kill your children. Just want to make that clear. Important safety tip. Um, Important safety tip. Yeah. So um, I and I think you recognized the plausibility of my answer, or at least the first phase of my answer, which uh, is why you cut me off so that I couldn't make the obvious plausible point. Um, So that indicates to me that, um, you know, there's there's some there's some lack of openness on this subject. Now, you know, I I don't judge you uh, in terms of your beliefs, in terms of your convictions. I'm sure they're sincerely held. I certainly hope they're sincerely held. Um, I'd encourage you to keep listening. And if you'd like to call in in the future to to get questions answered, to, you know, uh, have new information to work with and think about, um, that's great. But it does need to have some level of receptiveness Involved and not just be a pretext for faith bashing.
0: John, uh, thank you. And if you if you are interested in, I'd be happy to send you a book. And and Edgar, I'll leave it up to you which book uh, you think would be helpful to John if he'd like one. Uh, but Edgar knows the books, John. If you if you yeah. want to chat with him, he'll uh, he'll he'll let you know what's available, and we'll send you something uh, 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 so you know of our goodwill towards you. But also, we'd like to share it with you and 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 do call Mary, back, Mary. Merry Christmas, John. Merry Christmas, John. Off we go now to Texas. Ryan in Texas, listening on the Catholic Answers Live app. Hello, Ryan. Hey, Jimmy. I wanted to ask you, last month I was watching the movie The Green
3: Mile, and I was wondering, in real life, to what degree of culpability or accountability does a prison guard have in ending a prisoner's life? Is he Violating the sixth commandment, or is he just simply doing his job?
1: Well, it's there's not a single straightforward answer on this. Um, the The church has historically acknowledged that the death penalty is legitimate in principle, and consequently, if an if a person has genuinely committed crimes that are worthy of death, and then it's legitimate to put that person to death. And a guard would not be violating the moral law in doing so. Now, if an innocent person had been convicted and then and a guard or an executioner, I should say, knew that the person knew for a fact that the person was innocent, then he couldn't take the life of an innocent person. Without moral culpability. He would be morally culpable if he executed the person in that situation. Um, these days, the Church has been taking an attitude more recently that wants to discourage the use of the death penalty, and, and the language that's been used most recently is that it is quote-unquote inadmissible. But inadmissible does not mean it could never have been justified in the past, or that it's intrinsically morally wrong. If they wanted to say it's intrinsically morally wrong, they could say that, and they haven't. And so um, I would say that the historic understanding on this question still prevails. Now, an individual uh, executioner or an individual prison guard may say, I can't be an executioner out of my personal conscience, but it seems to me that if it's true that a person has committed uh an offense that warrants the death penalty objectively speaking then it would not be objectively immoral to uh to uh, administer the death penalty that's not to say you should you know uh it 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 there's certainly a case to be argued that no, we, we we should avoid using the death penalty. we should we should err on some other side rather than using it. But in terms of the fundamental question, is the death penalty intrinsically immoral? The church has not said it is, and that's not the his, church's historic understanding. And so I would say that the death penalty is not intrinsically immoral, and if it's not intrinsically immoral, then it can, in principle, be done, at least in some
0: circumstances. Uh, Ryan, thank you, and Merry Christmas to you, uh, Ryan. Uh, uh, It's uh, very nice to hear from you. I'm glad we got to say Merry Christmas to you before Christmas came. But uh, lines continue full, and on we go. We go now to Dallas, Texas. Uh, Nate is watching on YouTube in Dallas, Texas. Nate, Go ahead with your question for Jimmy Aiken.
3: Hey, good afternoon. Um, Merry Christmas again. Oh, thank um, you, Nate. I wanted to... Oh, any time. Um, I wanted to follow up on a conversation I had with Jimmy regarding um, double effect. And um, uh, I had previously... Uh, I'm sorry about that. I'm just looking at my screen. We um, talked about Fruit of the Forbidden Tree, and Jimmy expressed puzzled... Uh, a bewilderment about why I would use that as uh, a legal term. And I was going to say that it's, as Matthew 7, Jesus actually uses it, talking about um, uh, nothing good can come from the, point, uh, from the fruit of the poisonous tree. And um, the poison in this instance was talking oh. about um, Aquinas' example where uh, you are killing somebody, that's the poison, and you're tolerating or justifying it by saying the fruit is the saving of your own life. And um, that's why I use that term. Okay. Uh, Jesus said, "Don't even worry
1: about." Okay. You uh, let me let me let me let me stop day. you right. Let me uh, Nate. Let me stop you right there. Um, I'm not sure what version of the Bible you're reading. I can't. The saying in the form I'm familiar with it is, "Good fruit does not come from a bad tree." um and or good fruit does not come from an evil tree I'm not aware of a translation that says poison tree um the phrase fruit of a fruit of the poison tree as I indicated is most familiar today as a legal doctrine which I explained in our prior conversation um but there you may be right there may be some translation out there that uses poison tree in this passage um, and so you could be reading from that one but, now that we've clarified the linguistic point, thank you for letting me know where it came from, and, uh, and what's your question today?
3: Oh, uh, so it was about um, uh, Matthew 5, and how he's talking about uh, forgive your uh, people, your enemies, love your enemies, don't uh, retaliate if they um, strike you. Um, mm-hmm. And you, went, you explained that that doesn't mean he's a perfect pacifist, and to uh, justify that you're talking about Jesus saying, uh, the hour has come, go by a sword. Um, Mm -hmm. I was wondering, why did you uh, jump to a different passage, a different book, a different episode of of his uh, ministry, when at the end of Matthew 5, he concludes Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount chapter, by saying, Be thou perfect, like my Father in heaven is perfect. Like he goes from talking about forgiving everybody and being a pacifist to saying, Be perfect. And in the case of the uh, uh, grab a sword, as soon as Peter used the sword, he was rebuked by Jesus. Jesus didn't want him to actually use a sword for defense. Isn't it plausible and more likely that uh, he said, get the swords, that it could fulfill the prophecy of that he shall be found among uh, robbers or, or, um, or criminals? And when it came time to use it— Okay,
1: said, Nate, Nate you're, you just piled— at least four things there for me to respond to. So I need a chance to respond to them or I'm going to start forgetting them. Um, The prophecy about Jesus being among thieves, that's fulfilled, or among robbers, that's fulfilled by his crucifixion between two lestes, to use the Greek term for these. It can, mean, it can be translated either robber or revolutionary or bandit, um, but that's what that's referring to. It's not being found among his own disciples, at least I'm not aware of any biblical scholar who int- would interpret it that way, when there's this other more obvious fulfillment. Um, in terms of why—so this was the first question you asked—why did I go to this other passage in Luke about the sword? The answer is because it's relevant it's on the same t- it's on the topic of the use of violence and so that's what the question was about it was it was on the topic of the of the use of violence you appealed to one text in in the sermon on the mount in matthew and so i appealed to another relevant text to show that you can't and this was one of the key points i emphasized you can't take individual passages and absolutize them and ignore other things jesus said on the same topic so um So I appealed to something else Jesus said on the same topic, which was the use of of lethal force, in order to balance the perspectives and indicate that Jesus is is saying something more complex than never use physical force in any circumstances. Also, to justify that move, I pointed out that right in the Sermon on the Mount itself— you will find statements that if you absolutized them and read them out of context would be contradictory, like do your good works in front of men so they can glorify your father in heaven and do your good works in secret so that nobody will see them. Well, if you absolutized either one of those, You would end up in a contradiction, but that is not what Jesus or Matthew, the author of the Sermon on the Mount, is intending. It's intended that you take—and I can go even further. If you look in Proverbs, you have answer a fool according to his folly, and the next sentence is answer— do not answer a fool according to his folly. So by directly juxtaposing those, it's telling you there's a balance to be found here. There's a more complex truth than just always do this or always do that. And I illustrated that in the Sermon on the Mount, and then I appealed to a relevant text on the
0: same topic. And that will bring us to the break. Uh, thanks, Nate, and Merry Christmas to you, uh, Nate. Thanks yeah. for, for all the times we got to talk with you this year, and hope we'll talk with you a lot next year. We'll take the break. We'll be right back with more Open Forum with Jimmy Aiken on Catholic Answers Live.
2: Hello, this is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of San Francisco. Keep your dial tuned to
1: Catholic Answers Live. You've heard that St. Paul Street Evangelization supports hundreds of teams of evangelists sharing the good news. But did you know that some of these teams are public prayer stations? Set up a sign on the
6: sidewalk and offer prayer and encouragement to those you encounter. Everyone needs prayer. Try this new method of witnessing to Jesus. Contact St. Paul Street Evangelization to get started
1: at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com.
0: He is honored by the church as a saint with the title of the angelic doctor. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote a basic textbook for young theology students that became the church's most famous and comprehensive guide to the faith, the Summa Theologica.
6: It is still read today and helped earn him the title Doctor of the Church. He died in 1274.
4: To find out more about the Doctors of the Church, visit
7: EWTN.com and click on Catholicism.
0: Most of the time is flying. Jimmy Aiken is our guest. It's open forum. You are welcome to ask whatever question you like of Jimmy. And we go to Ontario, Canada now. Ava, watching on YouTube. Excuse me. Hi, Ava. Go ahead with your question for Jimmy.
4: Hello. Thank you very much. My question is, I don't believe in ghosts, and I'm not sure what the official Catholic teaching is on ghosts. But mm-hmm. one time I was outside of—it uh, was an old school— over 100 years old, and they'd made a monument out of it or something, and I mm-hmm. was outside of it, and all of a sudden I saw something that looked—it um, was blurry, but it was kind of glowing, and it looked like a girl in an old-fashioned dress, and it drifted mm. across the lawn and disappeared into an outbuilding. building, and so okay. I was wondering, could that—what is the official Catholic teaching on ghosts?
1: Okay. Well, I'll I'll certainly answer that. Um, before I answer that, you said you don't believe in them. Why is that, Ava?
4: Well, I just always found ghosts, like, stories of, like, ghosts to be rather unrealistic, and I've always been told that ghosts aren't real. And so mm-hmm. I thought I'd probably just seen light or something like that.
1: Uh-huh. Okay. Well, um, so the first thing to be clear about is what is a ghost? Now, historically, the term ghost in English, it comes from from the same root as the German word geist, and all it means is spirit. So that's why we talk about both the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. They're the same person. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Ghost, and he exists, so obviously ghosts exist, because the Holy Ghost exists. Also, since we know that ghost just means spirit, at least that's the historical usage of the term, well, human spirits exist. We all have spirits, and they survive death. So, you know, our spirits, if we're, if we're good and, you know, if we're followers of Christ, we accept God's mercy, we get to go to heaven and be with Christ, and our spirits are there with Him. So ghosts in that sense exist. The question is, can those spirits ever appear to humans who are still alive? And that's kind of a more popular understanding of what a ghost is. It's not just that it's a a departed human spirit, but a departed human spirit that is appearing to the living. And uh, the Church teaches that God does sometimes give private revelations, where he will allow the Virgin Mary or one of the other saints to appear to the living in what's known as an apparition. And that's the same term, by the way, that's used in parapsychology, for when a spirit appears to someone, that's called an apparition, because they appear. That's where the word apparition comes from, from the appearing. And, um, and so if, let's say, St. Joseph appears to you, that's an apparition. And it's, it, if he's, he doesn't have his body, he's not like Mary and Jesus, so St. Joseph doesn't have his body, all he's got is his spirit. At the moment, and since the resurrection hasn't, and so if Saint Joseph appears to you, well, he's appearing as a ghost. And furthermore, uh, that's what the apostles believed in terms of uh, this being a real possibility. In the um, in the Gospels, there's the famous story about the disciples uh, rowing across the Sea of Galilee at night, and it's storming, and the waves are really rough, and they see Jesus walking towards them on the water, and their first thought is, it's a ghost. You know, it's a spirit, it's a ghost. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them for that. He says, nope, it's me, and he gets in the boat with them. Then, after the resurrection—this is at the end of Luke— After the resurrection, he shows up, and they're not expecting him, and they think he's a ghost. And he eats fish in front of them to convince them, I'm not a ghost. He says, a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. And he eats the fish, so he shows he's physical. Well, notice again, Jesus didn't rebuke them and say, come on, guys, ghosts don't exist. No, he he said, I'm not one. And so he seems open to the idea of human spirits appearing to the living. Now, we live in a kind of hyper-skeptical age, and you will hear people say, ghosts don't exist. Nonsense. Of course they do. Human spirits continue to exist. There is an afterlife. Sometimes God lets them appear to us. Now, I mentioned that the Church teaches that uh, the— that private revelations and or pri- that apparitions can occur with the souls of saints. Beyond what's taught by the church, it is also commonly recognized that souls that are in purgatory can also appear to the living. Uh, perhaps they're working out part of their purgatorial purification and when they appear, uh, or maybe they're here to to ask for help for prayers so that they can proceed through purgatory more easily. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, it was even possible, by God's permission, for the souls of the damned to appear to the living. And so, it no, that's not church teaching, that's theological opinion, but based on Christian history and all of the experiences that have been reported in it and the reflection on those experiences by great thinkers like St Thomas Aquinas and other theologians the the church has been really open to the concept of ghosts now that doesn't mean we should believe every strange thing we see is a ghost we want to look for other explanations and say is there some natural way that this could have been explained could it be a imagination or could it be a trick of the light or could it be Um, You know, some kind of someone's playing a trick on me, like maybe they doused themselves in phosphorus so they would glow and then ran across the lawn in front of me. Well, you know, those are possibilities that have to be considered, but if uh, you consider the natural explanations for what might have produced something, and if the natural explanations don't seem to fit, then it's reasonable to conclude I may have just seen a ghost here and that can be entirely reasonable. So I wouldn't, uh, I, I, I wasn't there in your experience and I haven't investigated it. So, you know, I don't have a definitive answer for you, but, uh, but I would say, you know, think through the different possibilities that could explain your experience. And if any of them seem likely, well, then that may well be what it was, but if none of the natural ones seem likely, then I wouldn't be closed to the idea of saying that, uh, that you'd seen a ghost.
0: What do you think, Ava?
4: Yes, that, that makes sense, because it just appeared out of nowhere, and then it drifted into a building and disappeared. So mm-hmm. I, do you think it's possible I could have seen a ghost, even though it probably was something else?
1: I think it's possible. I don't see anything that, from what you've said, I don't see anything that would eliminate it as a possibility. Um, one thing that I would I, I would consider is, you know, since you said it drifted, um, I would consider could it have been smoke or fog that, you know, like people see patterns in clouds that sometimes look like something. I'd, I'd wonder, could it have been that? Um, But you were the the one that saw it. If if you're sure that it couldn't have been smoke or fog, then that would eliminate that as a possibility. And, and, you know, I, I don't have any basis for making a definitive judgment based on what you've said in any particular direction. And so I wouldn't rule out the possibility that it was a ghost.
4: All right. Thank you very much. I wasn't sure what the official teaching was. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas, Ava. Before you You hang out, uh, can I uh, just—you've called uh, a couple times here. Is that right, Ava? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, I I thought so. We always enjoy your calls. Very, uh, very good. Will you maybe uh, consider calling us in the new year?
4: Yes, definitely.
0: Thank you. All right. Very good. Uh, thank you, Ava. Thanks very, very much. It's open forum. Uh, Jimmy Akin's our guest this hour. Next hour, Carlo Broussard will be in here, and I can see him. He's over there in the studio uh, getting his brain ready, warming the brain up. Uh, you're welcome to call because uh, there'll be a couple lines open here, 888 he, he sh- he
1: get. you should get one of those brain warmers, uh, you know, like the one you have in front of you on the
0: microphone. <laughs> this, is, this, this is a windsock, Jimmy, for when too much hot air is coming out. Uh, okay. All right. So uh, tell us again before you got to go, uh, Jimmy, the, what's on the Jimmy Ake's Mysterious World the next couple weeks? weeks?
1: Uh, tomorrow is Christmas Weird Questions and the week after is New Year's Weird Questions. Uh, the Christmas episode will be questions that are specifically Christmassy. So could the star of Bethlehem have been a UFO? Could the baby Jesus get colic? Do the infancy narratives
0: provide evidence against time travel? All that kind of stuff. Very good. Jimmy, uh, thanks for all you've uh, done for us this year. I don't think I'm, I, 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 this is uh, somewhat anecdotal, but I feel certain that it's correct. I don't think there's anybody who's done more hours uh, with us here on Catholic Answers than you have this year. So thanks for all that work you did this year. It's my pleasure. It's a ton of fun and I'll
1: see you in the new year.
0: See you in the new year, Jimmy. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right. Carlos, I uh, got, uh, uh Carlo, how's the brain doing? It's warmed up almost fully warmed up we'll see in just a couple minutes right back here there's two lines open if you're on the line hang on the line we're coming right back if you haven't called yet 888-318-7884